This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is the 19th of November. It is a Thursday. We are zeroing in on the return of Premier League football. And thank God that international nonsense is over. What a complete waste of time. Did you know that since the 1st of September, England have played more games than Manchester City, Manchester United, Aston Villa and Burnley have played in the Premier League? Isn't that ridiculous? What is the absolute point of it? It's such a load of nonsense. Ireland are still terrible. England are meh. Germany aren't great. Spain are good. France are great. And that's all you really need to know. Anyway, uh, we are, of course, brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com. Before we get started, very special happy birthday to my good friend, Eddie Gibbs of Anfield Index, EPL Index, Liberty Shield, and many other places. For those who don't know, Eddie is the uncrowned King of Scotland, soon to lead the re- the revolution uh, post-Brexit, have Scotland break away, form his own monarchy, and basically just take over the world from there. So happy birthday to Eddie. Uh, I can't tell you what age he is, because there's a guy standing in the corner looking at me, telling me I'm not allowed. Um, big news has broken this morning. Pep Guardiola has signed a contract extension with Manchester City. It looks like it's a two-year extension, so that gives him three years left, including this one that we're currently in. This is massive news for City. This is a massive win for City. Guardiola has never extended his contract before. At Barca, at Bayern, he worked through his contract, and then he left, and that was it. He was due to finish his contract with City at the end of this season, and the expectation was that he would leave. They've worked hard. They've convinced him that the project is still ongoing. They've obviously, you know, gotten through to him. They've shown him the light and probably given him a big bag of money as well. But I think it's brilliant for the Premier League to have Pep stay because I think you always want the best players and the best managers in the league. Like, for me, when Antonio Conte and Pep arrived, 
I just thought that was such a fantastic thing for the league because we had Klopp, we had Mourinho, we had Conte, and we have Pep. Now, obviously, Conte is gone, but we still have the other three. And we still have other good managers around the league. So, all things being said, I think it's fantastic news for the league. I think it's great news for City. Obviously, their fans should be delighted. It gives Pep this season and the next two to really chase that elusive Champions League, which is the whole reason he's there. Like That whole project is crafted around winning the Champions League. That is what he was brought for. And when you look at his four years, I mean, people do criticize him, obviously, for the Champions League exits, and th- and that's fair. I think a lot of people go way over the top, though, and I think any suggestion that he's been a failure at City to date is utter nonsense. Two incredible seasons, one where he broke the points record for the league, one where he won the first ever domestic treble. I mean, how could anybody suggest that that tenure is anything but a success is it is it the rampant success that they probably hoped for no but it's still a success he still wins things pretty much every year so for me i look at guardiola's term at city and i just think pretty much every club would swap what they've done in the last four years for that liverpool are are the only ones that wouldn't because liverpool won a champions league and a premier league but any other premier league club would swap with city Look, pretty much any club would swap with City for the last 10 years and what they've had, you know, and the moments they've had. But everything was built towards getting him. He was the guy from the moment they brought in Bergerestein and the others from Barcelona. The project evolved towards let's get Pep. When Pep becomes available, we want to be the landing spot for him. And for a club that not a whole length of time ago, was in League One. That is, it's remarkable how far they've come. And yes, they've had massive help with the ownership changes and the vast amounts of money, but money means nothing if you don't spend it properly. Manchester United have spent a billion pounds since Alex Ferguson left and won zero league titles. So I don't want to hear about Oh, they're just just checkbook managers and all this nonsense. It's it's complete rubbish. It is complete rubbish. There are different ways to have success. All of of them involve spending a lot of money. Liverpool have spent a lot of money. Yes, they created a lot of that money themselves through sales, but they still spent a lot of money. They developed players. They bought players young, Sterling and Coutinho developed them, and then sold them. They spent roughly about $13 million on the two, on the two of them, and then they sold them for just under $200 million. That's a fantastic way to go about your business. But Liverpool were building a project. They still needed to go certain ways. Same thing with Suarez. They brought him for $23 million, sold him for $65. Under, sold him under value, it must be said. But... All of that contributes towards the long slog that Liverpool have had. City didn't have to do that, so why should they? Like, if you can afford to go out and build the biggest house that you could possibly dream of, why why wouldn't you do it? Why would you build a small shack and then knock it down or sell it and take that money and build a bigger house 
and then sell it. And Why would you do that if you can just get to your end goal straight away? City got to their end goal straight away. And I credit them for it. My stepfather is a massive Manchester City fan, lifelong, through all the years of garbage that he had to suffer through. Like, absolute sewage as football. And he gets his reward now. And people talk about City and all the plastic fans. And, yeah, there's an element of that. But think back. They were in League One selling out Main Road, which was 30,000, 32,000. They were selling it out home game after home game into the championship, still selling it out home game after home game. And when they came back up and they moved stadium, they sold out for the first while. Then they expanded the stadium. And the problem with City is City are a big regional club. Like they are big in Manchester and the surrounding areas. They don't have the massive fan base throughout England, which is why we see empty seats and why they give away a lot of free tickets to schools and stuff. But who cares? Like, who cares about that? More clubs should give away free tickets to schools and get young people going to games. Absolutely, they should. City sell a bunch of season tickets to people in Abu Dhabi or wherever that are never going to attend a game. But who cares? It's not stopping anyone else from going because those tickets are still available on a game-to-game basis. So, I don't know. For me, I look at I look at what City have accomplished over the last 10 years, and I do. I applaud them. I think it's fantastic what they've done, how far they've come. They're the number one club in Manchester. And as a neutral in the Manchester uh, you know, scene, I would be very happy to see City over United. As a as a non, I suppose it's the whole anybody but United thing, isn't it? Like if you grew up in the nineties and through the two thousands, United were just so dominant for that twenty years. So why wouldn't you be happy to see somebody take over from them? Like there'd be a if Everton got a multi billionaire. Now they have one, I know, but if they got like a real multi billionaire, like someone like Sheikh Mansour to take over. And they were to overthrow Liverpool as the power of Merseyside, with Liverpool having dominated since the 70s. Wouldn't everybody who isn't a Liverpool fan cheer and be happy with that? Wouldn't Man United fans be delighted at the sight of that? Like, So I don't understand why Liverpool fans get so upset about City, why neutral fans get so upset about it. They're good for the league. They bring in plenty of revenue for the Premier League. Yes, there's question marks over certain things they've done with their finances. And and the one big knock on them is, you know, you do want them to stick by the rules a little bit more. But if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Like every club does, does something a little bit suspect. Every club does something a little bit suspect. Like, you can't you can't name a club that hasn't gone out of their way to bend a rule here or there over the last few years. And City took their punishment. Whether it was enough, who that's not for me to say, but you know, it is what it is. Get them getting to keep Guardiola is something that the the whole league should be happy about because it brings more eyeballs to the league when Pep is here. And that's it. That's the only thing I've got to say on that. 
It's quite a lot to say on it, obviously, but it's the only thing I've got to say on it. Right. Um, so, it is Thursday, which means it is uh, it is Twitter day. So, let's have a look at what we've got. Haven't looked at these yet, but um, we'll start at the first one. Owen Hurley tweets from the bug. Uh, what was the best TV show of the decade and why was it justified? I've genuinely not seen justified i've heard good things and i must check it out but the best show of the decade has to have been game of thrones i know that's the you know the cliche answer but it just has to have been game of thrones i mean downton abbey was brilliant as well does that count i I don't know but like it has to be game of thrones um alex b asks best or funniest non-physical football trait Rory Delap using his, t- his shirt as a towel, Adama Traore's oil arms, or Cristiano Ronaldo playing with uh, boots that are two sizes too small. He's not the first that's done that. David Ginola used to play in boots that were too small as well because he said he could feel the ball better. And that was the older boots as well, um, which weren't nearly as stretchy as the current ones. Cantona playing with no studs. I think is one of my favorite ones. Getting his studs checked and then taking them out. I think that's one of my favorite ones. Oh, yeah. Trev Downey. Is it difficult running? Obviously, you know, we've got the two-footed towers here. Uh, Is it difficult running a household staff in your sprawling manner? Do you pay them well or exploit them? Of course I pay them well. What are you talking about? course i pay them well i'm not like you danny <laughs> already <laughs> um if uh, will asks if fulham were to sack scott parker tomorrow who do you think they should appoint to replace him who do i think they should appoint i think eddie eddie howe would be an interesting one i think eddie howe would be an interesting one there i think they would appoint sam allardyce if i'm honest See, I don't think Fulham have the clout to go... They have the money, but I don't think they have the clout to go and get Pochettino or Allegri, obviously. And there's not a whole... like. Do you know, actually? Do you know? Rafa Benitez. Because Rafa is a better defensive coach than Sam. Has shown that if he goes down with a team, he's willing to stay there and then bring them back up. He'll work on a budget, but you give him money and he will he will do an excellent job. I think I'd go Rafa Benitez. Uh, Jamal Solomon, who would you say is the most overrated and underrated footballer in each position for the last 40 years? Do you know what? I'll, I'm going to do that, but I won't do that today because that's, that's pretty much a whole podcast. Um, to do an overrated and underrated 11, but leave that one with me, Jamal, and I'll come back to it uh, maybe next week. Um, FC Molman, over the past 20 years, is there any players you thought that were hugely overrated and didn't buy into the hype? Uh, a couple. Um, Sergio Ramos is one. I think he's wildly overrated because of the teams he's played in and because he scores goals. Um, defensively, I think he's average at best. 
He's very, very error prone. And we see him make an awful lot of last ditch tackles and people laud him for these as if they're magnificent. But the reason he has to make them is because he was at a position to begin with. Um, I think Wayne Rooney was overrated. Now, this is Wayne Rooney had the ability to become the the greatest English footballer of all time. And I think he became a very good footballer. But I don't think he ever became a world-class footballer. He had a couple of world-class seasons, but never back-to-back. And, I mean, from the age of 26 onwards, he was sharply on the decline. For me, the hype of Rooney and the player Rooney Rooney was never really were in sync. The hype always made him out to be better than he was. Like when it was Rooney and Ronaldo, people talked about them as if they were on the same level. And they just weren't. Ronaldo was always clearly the better player. Um, Maybe the first season they were together, Rooney was better. But Ronaldo was clearly the better player. When United had that incredible attack of Berbatov, Tevez, Ronaldo and Rooney. At the time, Rooney was the fourth best player. He just was. And they worked better without him. It worked better with Tevez, Berbatov. And Ronaldo, if they could have found a way to get Rooney into midfield at that time, when he still had all that energy and was just a a powerhouse, that could have worked really well. But no, for me, Ramos, Rooney, and Gareth Bale. Like, don't get me wrong, I I do like Gareth Bale, and I I think he's a very, very good player. I think at his best, he, he did border on great for a while. But again, like with Rooney, an awful lot of hype. A lot of it unjustified. He had he had one great year in the Premier League. One. And he won player of the year. And he wasn't even the best player in the league. Luis Suarez was better. But Suarez bit Ivanovic. Bale was really, really good. But he was really, really good when the team was built around him. And yes, he went to Real Madrid and won a bunch of stuff. But he is widely viewed by Real Madrid fans as a flop. As a disappointment. He was part of a team that won a ton. And yes, he scored big goals at big moments. But he also had months where he just skated by. And he spent the last few years, the prime years of his career, sitting on the bench and playing golf. I think Bale and Rooney could have become the players they were hyped to be. But I don't think they ever did. And Ramos, I just don't like. Um, Long live LFC. With injuries mounting, are you still confident Liverpool will go back to back? Uh, Less confident, but still somewhat confident. Um, The injuries are mounting, though. Today, it looks like Jordan Henderson has been ruled out of the Leicester game. Still no word on whether Fabinho will be back, but it does look like if he's back, he'll have to play in midfield, which means... Probably Joel Matip and Nat Phillips because Reese Williams is also an injury doubt. Um, Alex Wilson asks, uh, where do you think Jack Wilshere should end up and where do you think he will end up? I think he will end up staying in England. I think somebody, if if Rooney were to get the Derby job, I could see Jack Wilshere ending up there. Um, where do I think he should end up? I think he should go to the MLS. I really do. I think if he if he went to the to the US, he would have his pick of clubs 
he'd have a very easy schedule because they would tailor it to him where he wouldn't have to fly coast to coast and things like that if he didn't want to. He could, you know, maybe play two out of every three games. He would comfortably be one of the best players in the league uh, from a pure talent point of view. Wiltshire's another one that just never lived up to what he was meant to be. I mean, at 18, he genuinely looked like he was going to be one of the world's great midfielders. And then injuries and off-field things kind of got in the way and spoiled what should have been a, a fantastic career. I do like watching Jack Wiltshire play football, though. When I watch Phil Foden, I see Jack Wiltshire. Um, I think Wiltshire was more talented than Phil Foden. But I'd like to see him go to MLS. I'd like to see him get that shine as well. Like, there'd be hype around him. And he'd get he'd get a lot of coverage. And I think he, you know, I think he'd enjoy it as well. Um, he is, he's very English though, isn't he? Like, he might be the type who, like, takes his holidays in like Torquay or somewhere, you know, doesn't really like going abroad. He might be one of those, but if I was him, that's what I would do. Where do I think he ends up? I think he'll end up at like a Derby or somebody, which, uh, which is, you know, it, it, it's good, but at the championship is, is rough. I think he'd get kicked an awful lot. Um, Lee Cox asks, should Ireland continue playing the same style of football under Stephen Kenny or play a more pragmatic style with the players at his disposal? What future Ireland players should we watch out for in the coming years? So, genuinely, I think they should stick with playing the same style that Kenny wants to play from schoolboy all the way up to senior. And I think it's the only way to get that imprinted into the players where they play it every single year they're in the Irish system. I think to move away from it would make the Kenny appointment pointless. I I know he's going to have a lot of bad results and I know people are probably going to get a little bit fed up and there'll be some people that moan and whinge about it. But for me, I want to see him stick with what he's doing. I think it's important that he imprint his style onto the Irish setup from the bottom up, not the top down. It can't work if it's the if it's the senior team doing something and then it trickles down over the next couple of years. It has to begin at under 15s up. So get it the whole way up and down straight away. The under 21s play exactly the same style I couldn't tell you if the underage teams do. If they don't, they need to. That needs to be. If that is the manager's identity as as what he wants in his philosoph- philosophical view of football, it has to be top to bottom. And they have to give Kenny a chance. They really do. It's been years of dreck. It's been years of watching turgid football. And look, Ireland are never going to win a World Cup. They're never going to win a European championship, certainly not in my lifetime. But they could at least be an entertaining team to watch. I saw um, John O'Sullivan say yesterday that you know the last goal Ireland scored was scored by Eamon de Valera, and it doesn't feel like that's far off. Um, but, but, you know, 
if they're at least entertaining to watch and they can at least have a distinct style of play, then surely, eventually, the players that they have, and there's good quality young players, and the second part of this question is what young players, these players will grow up in that style and they will be used to that style. As for, you know, what players, I mean, I, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to underage. Luke O'Connell uh, at Celtic is one that I've seen and I do like. Um, Jason Knight at Derby is another one I've seen and I, I, I do like. They're both 19. Um, Jason Malumbi, the, the kid at Brighton, is talented. And Troy Power, I think, is obviously the the star of the show. There's that young keeper that went from Sheffield, no, from Shamrock Rovers to Man City as well, who looked very, very good. But there's there's definitely people far more qualified than me to talk about this. But yeah, to me, I just want to stay, see them stick with the same style. I want to see them implemented and and just commit to something. Commit to something for a long period of time. And yes, it'll be rough and ropey for a while, but like the the documentary on Jack Charlton is being released on the first of December. And as much as we all love Jack, none of us want to watch that style of football anymore. Um Cal asks, uh, news that Premier League managers have now agreed to the five subs with the likes of um Pep and Klopp, who refused due to the stubbornness of the smaller clubs, now it starts to affect them with two games a week. Yeah, so it looks like the the rule in the Premier League is going to be changed where you're now going to be allowed to make five substitutions. Obviously, the I don't want to say the smaller clubs, but the non-top six clubs had been against the five, five substitutions rule uh, earlier on in the season because they felt it put them at a disadvantage. But now, because of the way the schedule is going to work out, everybody's going to be playing pretty much two games a week for quite a long time. So now that it suits David Moyes and whoever else was cribbing and cry arson about it, um, I, I assume Roy Hodgson was one of them, uh, now they're all in favour. Now everybody sees the benefits of it. Because uh, it's not just a big bad wolf that is Liverpool and Man City and Chelsea and United. Uh, now it's it's fine for everybody to have five subs because it it suits Hodgie and the rest. So uh, they're hypocrites. Uh, the fact that Brendan Rodgers was one of those who was against it to begin with shows just exactly what kind of hypocrite he is. Um, I'm done talking about him anyway. But uh, who would be? What would be your three most dominant individual seasons by a Premier League player? Um, I, I, that's from Emmett. I assume this is three different players. So I would go with Thierry Henry with the 20 goals, 20 assists season. Because I just think that's a remarkable achievement. I think it's absolutely sensational what he accomplished that year. He was arguably the best player in Europe at the time. And um, 20 goals, 20 assists. I mean, some people tried to make out that others have done it. Nobody else has done it. Uh, It was, uh, you know, a one of one. I would say Alan Shearer, 94-95, 34 goals across 42 games. I think he was, you know, just a physical brute, incredible finisher, wonderful all-round game. Before the injuries really kind of altered his game too much, I know he'd had one bad knee injury at that point, but 
Shearer was just, he was different class. Shearer was incredible. Like, people watch Harry Kane and, and, you know, we appreciate what Harry Kane does. But I don't think anybody has much of an idea just how good Alan Shearer was unless they watched him in his prime. And while he was good for Newcastle, he had a lot of injuries. At Blackburn, he was different class. At Blackburn, he was 30 goals a season. 31 and 40, 34 and 42, 31 and 35. Like, even his first season there, he played 21 games, 16 goals. He was just different class at that time when the rules were not so distorted in favor of the attackers the way they are now. When defenders could get away with all types of shenanigans. And Alan Shearer would just go out and he would monster the life out of them. He didn't care. He was 5'11". He played like he was 6'5". He's His official listing is 6 foot. He's not 6 foot. He is 5'11". And that was with his hair. He's probably 5'10 now that he's bald. Um, Alan Shearer was just different class. So pick either of those 94-95 or 95-96 seasons at Blackburn. Um, Luis Suarez, 13-14. It's the best season I've ever seen anybody have. It was just incredible. He was a one-man wrecking crew. He carried a team that was probably the fourth or fifth best team in the league, and he almost carried them to the title. He took easily one of the worst defenses I've ever seen in my life. Glenn Johnson, Martin Skirtle, sometimes Colo Torre, and John Flanagan. He took that team almost to the brink of a title. Luis Suarez is is the best player I've ever seen play for Liverpool. He's the best player individually that I've seen play in the Premier League. Now, he wasn't around as long, obviously, as Shearer or as, as Henri or as others. So I wouldn't say he's the greatest player to play in the Premier League, but I would say he is the best player to play in the Premier League. And that season, 13-14, he was just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. There's there's no argument to be made. He was the second best player in the world that year. Maybe the best. Maybe the best. It's him and Messi. He had outstripped Ronaldo for a couple of years. Um, he was just sensational. A lot of people will say the Salah season, um, his first year with Liverpool, and it was incredible. But I, for me, I would still say Suarez... Either of those Shearer seasons, I'll accept. And, you know, I would argue both of them were, were remarkable. And Henry's 20-goal, 20-assist uh, season. Those are, the, those are the ones for me. Um, Jamie Buck. Sorry, it's Liverpool-centric. Make six aside, picking three from Category A and three from Category B. Oh, this is, this is just mean, Jamie Buck. So category A is Alison Becker, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Virgil van Dijk, Fabinho, Thiago, and Mo Salah. I can have three of those. Category B is Mignolet, Glenn Johnson, Lovren, Lucas, Lalana, and Lambert. He knows I don't like most of those. Um, oh, this is this is terrible. I 
I'm definitely taking Thiago. I'm definitely taking Salah. I'm going to take Lambert as well. Oh, this is oh, this is generally woeful. Let me come back to that because otherwise we'll be here all day. Um, Shamak uh, Shamak asks about the five substitution rule as well. Yeah, I I do think they're hypocrites. I think Hodgey, Brendan, Brendan is the biggest hypocrite of them all because Brendan is one of the Brendan doesn't want it because Brendan is trying to compete with the top six for the top six. So that's why he's a hypocrite. Now that suits him, he's fine with it. Uh, which non-big six club will be the biggest beneficiary? Leicester City will be. Um, Lee Jones, potential centre-backs, centre-back options for Liverpool outside the top five leagues. Uh, I, I quite like Christopher Ager from from Celtic. I think he just fits the profile. He's very good in the air. He's good on the ball. He's a dominant player. Still, Still raw. Still makes, you know, young defender errors because he's 22 but I think he's got a lot of potential and I think he would learn an awful lot from playing with you know the likes of Joel Matip and eventually your uh, Virgil van Dijk so Christopher Age is the one I'd go for um, though I do like a couple of the guys at, at Ajax I like Per Schurz I do like Edson Alvarez and I, I like uh, Martinez but he's a little bit short for a Jurgen Klopp centre back so You'd probably have to rule him out, but Pearshers or Christopher Ager would be the two kind of most obvious ones um, that I think you'd you'd have to look at. Uh, Eric Omdahl, he always does this. He he asks questions that require entire podcasts for themselves. But what he asks is what makes a Bubakari Samara or a Kamavinga stand out to me and why do I find Mason Greenwood so exciting? So just to quickly answer those, Mason Greenwood, it's his ability to put his shot on target. From wherever he is shooting, he just gets the ball on target every single time. And his shot location is fantastic. He always puts the ball towards the corners. He's someone, I think, that because of the era he's grown up in, he has got an understanding of what XG is. He understands where to shoot from and where not to shoot from. He understands the value of shooting into the corners. He understands the value of shooting across the goalkeeper, knowing that if he gets a hand to it, likelihood is he palms it out and somebody else taps it in. Um, I really like Greenwood's movement as well. I love how two-footed he is. Like The fact that he can just walk up and take a corner with either foot and it looks natural is absolutely sensational. Um, I like the timing of his runs. I like how, how smart he seems on the pitch. For me, he's just he's got the complete package to become a world-class forward. I think he's the most exciting young forward England have produced in a long time. I would say he's a more exciting prospect than Rashford. Um, and I still consider Rashford a prospect, even though he's an established player for club and country, but he's only 22. But Greenwood, for me, has a better all-round package than Rashford isn't as reliant on pace. I think he's got better feet in terms of dribbling and moving the ball into space. I think he's got better movement in his runs and he's he's just the way he strikes the ball. And the way he strikes the ball in particular reminds me of Daniel Sturridge. Zero backlift. Doesn't need that big backswing. Can just generate generate huge amounts of power and 
like I say, puts the ball exactly where he wants to. So that's that for me. Kamavinga, it's his ability to control a game at 16 years of age. Now, he's 17 or 18 now, but when he was 16 and he came into that Rennes team first, he looked like the best player on the pitch. He didn't just look like a player. He looked like the best player on the pitch. And his teammates treated him like that. They put their trust in him. They passed the ball to him under pressure in all kinds of circumstances. They looked at him as, I've got the ball now. Who am I looking for? I'm looking for him. Give it to him. It wasn't a thing like they'd look for someone else and when that person wasn't available, oh, we'll give it to the kid. He's in 20 yards of space. They were happy to give the ball to him over and over and over again and let him run the show. That, to me, is what made him stand out. Is also his versatility. Holding midfield, central midfield, attacking midfield, plays wide, can play fullback. I, I just think Camavinga is the whole, the whole thing. And Bubakari Samara just kind of reminds me of Patrick Vieira. Um, his energy, his reading of the game, his dynamic carrying of the ball... His timing of tackles as well, like he can look at times like it's a little bit wild and then you watch it again and it's like that is actually perfect. So that's those three. But there's a lot more with Kamavinga, especially and, and Samari. Um, Kamavinga, I just Kamavinga reminds me of Fernando Redondo, who is to me the best central midfielder slash defensive midfielder I've ever seen. Him and Roy Keane, Redondo and Roy Keane, if I could pick my dream midfield, that would be it. Um, Mark Vaughan asks, uh, who was the better player and who had the better career between Iniesta and Zidane? And can you say how you think they were similar and different? I think Zidane was the better player. I think Iniesta probably had the better career because he won more. But... You know, you look at Zidane from Bordeaux to Juve to Real. He was always stepping up. Obviously, Iniesta was just Barca. That was it. Just Barcelona. Born and bred until the end of the point where his career was at the top level. He was just Barcelona. Um... I think Iniesta had the better career because he won more, but I do think Zidane was the better player. I think Zidane could carry a team to greater heights by himself than Iniesta would have been capable of. Iniesta was never the best player in his own team. That honour went to Lionel Messi. Zidane was the best player in pretty much every team he ever played in, from underage up. And I think Zidane's story of that late development as well. It's of, of how he kind of burst onto the scene when normally a, a player is identified as, you know, an elite prospect at 17, 18. It didn't really happen like that for Zidane. The first time Zidane became kind of well-known outside of France was at the European championships when in, in 1996 in the UK, he'd only really broken into the team um, the year or so before, when Zid when Eric Cantona got suspended for karate kicking the the fella at Crystal Palace, Zidane sort of took his spot in the team, and he was like twenty two, twenty three at the time. He was twenty four by the time the Euros rolled round, and he was just 
he was just a sensational player. Um, that year leading up to that, he played in Bordeaux's run in the uh, UEFA Cup where they lost in the semi-final to Bayern. And he scored that incredible long-range kind of half-volley that dipped and swerved over the goalkeeper. Um, there's a there's a great story that Kenny Dalglish wanted to sign him in 95 uh, and Jack Walker replied, why would you want to sign him when you've got Tim Sherwood? I mean, that needs to be on, and that needs to be a t-shirt. It just needs to be everywhere. Why would you want to sign Zidane when, you have to, when we have Tim Sherwood? That was the mentality in England at the time. It's just fantastic. But obviously he goes to Juve and his level just goes up exponentially. And then by 2001, when he's 29 years of age, remember, uh, Juve pay, or Real pay a world record fee for him. So he was just different. His, his career path was different. He was 24 before he left France. Now if someone leaves France at 24, you're wondering why they're still in France at 24, uh, unless they've been a PSG. So, yeah, Zidane was just, he was different, took a different path, and I, I just think he was the better individual player from a dribbling standpoint, from his first, I mean, he might have the greatest first touch of all time. His ability to just go past players is so such an incredible ability to turn and throw defenders off with a body swerve, despite being such a big, well, you know, brick outhouse. He was a tank of a guy. Like, he was an absolute tank. And he had this incredible grace to him. Um, he was just sensational. And like I say, he was the best player in every team he was in. Even up until that moment in the, the 2006 World Cup, where, you know, he's in a team with world-class Vieira, world-class uh, Henri and, and others. He is just, he is sensational in that World Cup the whole way through. He'd had, he would dipped badly at club level and he decided to retire after that World Cup. And it's such a shame that that's the last memory people have of him uh, as a player. But he was utterly sensational. And in that World Cup, he was just ridiculous. And it would have been so fitting if he'd gone out lifting the World Cup rather than planting his forehead into... Um, <laughs> into the chest of Matarazzi. But, but I think that's part of why I love him is he did have that little bit of devil in him. Like, he, you know, Iniesta was like this little, you know, good boy. He was, he looked like a, like the type of person you'd trust. Zidane had this little bit of gnarly about him. There was always a little streak through him that, he could cut you in half if he wanted to. And he had his run-ins over the years with, you know, red cards and different things and moments where he lost his temper. But, yeah, I mean, Zidane, Team Zidane all day for me. Um, Harry Fuller asks, which Premier League clubs would best suit uh, Erling Haaland, Dominic Sazbalaya and Eduardo Camavinga? I assume you mean other than Liverpool, because Liverpool would suit them all. Um, Haaland would be a great fit at Man City. A great fit at Man City. 
Sal's Belaya would be a great fit at Spurs. Like a really, really good fit at Spurs. Um, if you put him in that number 10 role behind Kane with Bale or Bergvijn on one side and Son on the other, Sosbalai would be a great fit there. You just drop Endembele back into midfield. Kamavinga, I think it's City again, to be honest. I think if you played him on the left of their midfield three, I think he'd be sensational. Uh, Lisa Marie Hanahan asks, do you think there's anything in the renewed flutter of stories on Ginny Wijnaldum's, Ginny Wijnaldum's contract status? I don't know is the answer. I really hope there is. I really hope there's been some traction gained on getting him to agree to a new deal because he is so important to Liverpool. I mean, you're hard-pressed to, to name a better midfielder for Liverpool over the Klopp years. He's been so important. He's in the team every single game. He is the one Klopp trusts the most. He's the first midfielder on the team sheet for Jurgen Klopp. No question. Him and Fabinho. And then the third one is Henderson, but he is the third one. It is Ginny and Fabinho, and then it's it's Henderson. And I think the, the Henderson role is the one that's up for grabs when Thiago's fit. I don't think there's any doubt that Ginny Wijnaldum is just super important to Jurgen Klopp. And in every big moment that Liverpool have needed someone to step up, the someone who has stepped up is Ginny Wijnaldum. Barcelona at home in the Champions League. Sorry, Barcelona away, Champions League semi-final. Bobby Firmino ruled out with an injury. Oh, who will we put up front? Oh, we'll stick Ginny Wijnaldum up front. Okay, fine. Barcelona at home, second leg of the semi-final. Ginny Wijnaldum not on the team. Need a goal at halftime? Who'd you call on? You call on Ginny Wijnaldum, steps up, gets you two goals. You don't make that Champions League final without him. Last year, Atletico Madrid come to Anfield. Liverpool have stanked the place out First in the first leg. They went over there, stanked the place out. Awful. Not particularly good in the second leg either, it must be said. But who's the one that steps up? Who's the one that almost drags them through kicking and screaming? Ginny Wijnaldum with a goal and an assist. In big games, big players stand up. Others who get more hype regularly disappear. Not him. Not him. The one who's you know, fodder sometimes for the trolls and the children on Twitter is the one who regularly stands up and is counted. Um, I'm going to finish on Jamie's question about the um, the six aside. I'm going to pick Mignolet, even though it kills me, because in a six aside, I'm just going to go for a decent shot stopper. And if we're playing in a six aside net, he's massive anyway, so you'll fill most of it. Um, I'm going to go for Lucas Leva. Because I feel like I gave him plenty of stick over the years. Um, all of it deserved, by the way. All of it deserved. And, um, you know, it might just soothe his cult. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to pick Lambert because I just someone who can stand up front and score tap-ins. So I'll go Mignolet, Lucas, and Lambert from that team. I'm going Thiago, Salah. And Trent. No, I'm not going Trent. I'm going Virgil. I have to go Virgil. I just have to go with Virgil. Um, so, yeah, Mignolet, Virgil, Lucas, Thiago, Salah, and Lambert. That's who I'm picking. 
and Jamie Buck, you're not allowed any questions anymore. That was horrible. This is mean. It was just mean. It was unnecessarily mean to put me through that. Um, that's it then. That's the show for today. Tomorrow, Guy Drinkle will, of course, join me as we preview the upcoming weekend's clashes in the Premier League. So do make sure you're back with me then. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Fox Haunt for our title music. Thank you, as always, to Mr. Drinkle. Uh, I will let him go now and enjoy his new Xbox. Uh, to those of you who have received your PlayStation 5s, please do let me know what they're like as I attempt to make a decision at some point in the new year on which to buy. Uh, Guy is already, he's hes leaning me towards the dark side, I have to say. That's it. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.